Good evening, Refuge. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. Tonight we're going to continue our study through the book of 1 Peter as we're continuing our, our long journey and trek through the book. We've been at it uh, for quite a few months now. So if you're new, we've been uh, steady uh, going along verse by verse, one at a time. And and tonight we'll be looking at uh, the beginning of chapter 4, specifically, specifically looking at the next two verses, uh, verses 1 and verses, uh, verse 2. <clears throat> if you uh, have a Bible, I ask you to t- turn there. Uh, and I want to tell you up front where we're headed, and then we'll, we'll dive in. I believe based on... Uh, there's one thing that Peter really wants us to, to grasp and understand from these two verses. And the primary thing I think he wants us to understand is that we are to embrace our calling. That's we are to embrace our calling. And I, and I believe that Peter uh, gives us three ways we can do this based on our text. And we're going to go through those one at a time. Uh, and if you have not already, turn with me in your book, uh, in your Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 1 reads, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus, thanking you for giving us the opportunity to come tonight to gather in your name. Thank you, Lord, that we can have a place where we can open up your word, where we're not uh, persecuted in the sense of right now we have this freedom to speak, we have this freedom to talk, we have the freedom to hear preaching of your word. Lord, and we are thankful for that, I pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, Lord, our hope is only you. Lord, it's not us, but it's you in us, Lord. So I pray that you would do the working of your spirit, that you would do the working of illumination in our hearts tonight as we look at your word. I pray that you would open our eyes to have understanding. Lord, give us understanding that we would live, that we would behold wondrous things out of your law. And Lord, help us to uh, take great pleasure and great joy in your truth. Lord, I pray that you would reorient our affections and reorient our desires and help us to grow in a greater love for you and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would do far more abundantly than what I can ask and pray for right now. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to recap the last few weeks, uh, really going back to uh, chapter 3. So at the uh, chapter 3, we finish off looking at uh, this submission to authority with husbands and wives. But really, uh, beginning in verse 8, Peter transitions to a time of encouragement. He, he, he transitions to a time of encouragement uh, for the believers. And he, he named five things that we can do by the grace of God with a humble mind, brotherly love, sympathy, and a tender heart and a humble mind. And he used those five characteristics and showed how we can live out uh, suffering, that we can live out these things by the grace of God. And then he got into uh, giving us the exhortation to bless, not to revile when we are reviled, but in return we ought to 
blessed. That's contrary to what the world thinks we should do. And then uh, Chase got into the aspect of the quote from Psalm 34 later in the next couple of verses. And then really in verse 15, we took some time to really look at what it means to be prepared and what it means to be prepared to give a defense, to make a defense like a lawyer would give a defense on behalf of uh, someone they're representing. And, and we saw that that's something that we all as believers ought to be prepared to do, to be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that's in us. And then uh, Chase uh, spent some time last week, which is really important for what we're going to look at tonight, and really hashed out uh, verse 18 for what it says, uh, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that through this he might bring us to God, that he would provide reconciliation. And, and really the meat of what Chase was talking about was Christ has triumphant victory over sin, and ultimately that death nor sin has the last say. We know that Christ defeated that, and it got into uh, a couple examples with Noah and then with baptism. And then we pick up uh, with what we're looking at tonight, and that's important because he starts off with the word therefore. And when we look at the word therefore, it's important to keep that in the back of our mind of why is the word therefore, therefore. So whenever we're reading, that's a good thing uh, to keep in the back of our mind. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And uh, we're going to dive in. But one thing's important to note, uh, it's not a continuation of encouragement tonight. Peter's not continuing to encourage his, uh, the readers, but rather he is, he is ceasing to do that, and he's calling us now to embrace. Embrace what Peter has been referring to, what he's been outlining in the recent weeks, and really in what he's been talking about in this entire letter. We are to embrace what? Our call to suffer. We've talked pretty extensively what it means to suffer from a biblical perspective, and that's what we're going to continue to look at tonight. So Peter has shown us this in a few ways, and mainly he's shown us this in the example of Christ. We saw that Christ is the greatest example of someone who has suffered, especially in the form of unjust suffering. And it's no different when we think about that in our text tonight. We have to embrace this calling to suffer, and we have to embrace it in light of Christ's atoning sacrifice, his atoning suffering on the cross. Jesus Christ embraced his calling every step of the way. It's important for us to really understand this. We see constant reminders of this all over the pages of Scripture. Jesus repeatedly tells us to his disciples in the Gospels, he says, The Son of Man must suffer. He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the uh, chief priests, the scribes, and he will be killed. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. We can see that uh, plainly over the four gospel narratives. Or we can see it in the example of him praying in the garden before he is betrayed. He, he cries out before the Father, Lord, if this is your will, let this cup pass for me. Not my will, but your will be done. He was sweating drops of blood. We know what happened ultimately because he led, was led to the cross. He embraced the Father's will. And again, we see it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul reminds us, or rather he reminds us and Timothy both, that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What is this saying? The saying is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we can see from those few examples and many other throughout the scriptures 
that Christ came and he knew what he came to do. He knew he came to save sinners. Not only that, he knew that there was no other way to accomplish this other than suffering. And he suffered mainly by taking on the full weight of God's wrath for sinners. He did not shy away from it. He did not revile when he was reviled. He rather entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He did not try to avoid suffering. He did not try to avoid the cross. He embraced it. And that is the example that we should follow. Jesus unmistakably and confidently embraced his calling to save us. So with that fresh in our minds, let's turn to our text. Looking at verse 1, we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Peter begins this chapter with the example of Christ, which what we just talked about, and really what Chase talked about pretty extensively last week. So we're not going to spend uh, a lot of time on that tonight. I think we're already pretty well aware of what Christ did in his suffering. But it's important to keep that in the back of our mind, as this is really the, the foundation of what Peter is talking about. He uses the word, therefore, to connect what he's about to say with what he said at the end of chapter 3, really the five uh, last verses of chapter 3. And this connection is since Christ is suffering, since Christ suffered, that was his pathway to glory. And believers should in the same way be prepared to suffer knowing that this is on the pathway to glory. Suffering is on the pathway to glory. As I mentioned, uh, Peter is now seeking to get us to embrace this calling. He's no longer trying to get us to be encouraged. He is trying to get us to embrace the call to suffer. He says, arm yourselves. He says, arm yourselves or imitate Jesus. And how are we to do this? Well, thankfully, Peter answers the question later in our text. And we're going to look at that with the three ways, as I mentioned earlier, that we can embrace our calling to suffer. And the first way we can do so is by arming ourselves with the same thinking of Christ. The first way we are to embrace our calling is by arming ourselves with the same thinking of Christ. And this is twofold. The first is that we were to arm ourselves, which is important. And the second is we are to do it in the same manner or the same thinking that Christ did. So we're going to take them one at a time. The first one is that we are to arm ourselves. Excuse me. And this arming ourselves has a, a very, uh, when, it, when it's stripped down to the original Greek, has a very military connotation to it, to arm yourselves. We see examples of this throughout Scripture with weapons of righteousness, armor of light, and probably seen most clearly with the example that we all are probably well, well aware of is Ephesians 6 with the armor of God. There are many others, but these are really the few major ones. And uh, the thought is that Christians must be like a soldier who is prepared for battle. So think of it like this. We have an American soldier who uh, receives news that he has now received orders to go to the Middle East. He's now going to prepare to fight, right? He's, he has to uh, take necessary steps to prepare for battle. He has to say bye to his family. He has to be prepared emotionally, on an emotional level. He has to go through maybe some more specific training, depending on his job or what's going to be required of him. So he's going to go through those different types of things. 
And then he's going to actually have to be prepared physically when he's there. He's going to have to have armor on. He's going to have to have a helmet or uh, some type of weapon. Uh, He's going to have to have his boots and his pants and his jacket and maybe a backpack or food or all different sorts of things. So that's what this man is doing. This soldier is being prepared. So now fast forward. The soldier's in the Middle East, right? He has all his equipment with him. What would you say... If this soldier was to go out of his dorm in the middle of the Middle East with only his helmet on. Well, we would say that man is not armed. He is not prepared. He hasn't armed himself. So in that same manner, we're not to look at the example of the soldier who went out in the middle of the war with just his helmet on. No, that would be foolish. It would be stupid. He's in the middle of a war. He should arm himself. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, arm yourself. You are soldiers. You have been given armor. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the the sandals of the gospel of peace. You've been given the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. You've been given the ability to pray at all times. This is your armor. Peter is saying, embrace it. Arm yourselves. This is what he's saying. This is what it means to arm yourself. Just like a soldier would prepare to battle, so too the Christian must prepare to suffer. That's what it means to arm yourself. And the second aspect of it, Peter says, is to arm yourself with the same way of thinking or the same thinking of Christ. We are to arm ourselves like the soldier with the same thinking of Christ. Remember, Christians are to imitate Christ in his example. Well, what is Christ's example? Well, it's primarily that his suffering suffering was inevitable. In order for Christ to save sinners, he must make things right with God. That meant suffering in the greatest form. He had to drink the entire cup of God's wrath towards sinners. We must know this in our minds and in our thinking, that suffering is inevitable for Christians. Just like it was inevitable for Christ to redeem sinners to God, we too must understand that for the Christian life, it is inevitable that suffering will come. It will come. It will come in various forms. It will come in forms of temptations to sin, unjust forms of suffering through slander or mockery, physical beatings, sometimes maybe imprisonments, and and maybe even come in the form of death which we know might not be the case for us in here today, but we know is very much real to our brothers and sisters who are all over the country, or all over the globe, especially right now in China. We must keep this in mind, that Christ indeed suffered in his human body. He suffered in the flesh. We must sit back and ask ourselves, do we really think we are going to be exempt of this? Do we really think that our Messiah, our Savior, who was brutally, brutal, uh, brutally tortured in the flesh on the greatest form in a criminal crucifixion, that we somehow are just going to avoid that, that we won't have any form of suffering in our life? No, we will not be exempt of this. In fact, Jesus said so in one of the clearest ways in Luke chapter 21. If you guys are fast flippers, Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 21. We're going to look at this. 
quickly. So as you're turning in your Bibles, uh, briefly, the context of Luke 21 is Jesus is about uh, at the time where he's about to go to the cross. He's ending his earthly ministry, and he's he's foretelling the destruction of the temple. He's foretelling what's going to happen to the disciples. He's foretelling what's going to happen to Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem in years ahead. And he's giving different parables and examples of this. He's talking about what is going to happen when uh, Jesus comes back and the coming of the Son of Man. So that's kind of what the framework Jesus is going about. And you look at verse 10, remember, in light of suffering, he says, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, before all the great terrors, before all the earthquakes, before all the famines, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of all. Your head will be perish, will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. There's no way that we can read a text like this, and that's one example, coming straight from the mouth of Jesus, saying that we will indeed face persecution. We will be given up by our brothers and sisters and the closest people in our lives. We will be hated by all for whose namesake? For Jesus' name. That comes with a cost. Discipleship comes with a cost. And then skip down a couple verses to verse 34. He gives a a warning and a reminder. He's continuing with this theme. He says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with desperation and drunkenness and cares of this life that day and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We see Jesus is telling them to do what? To be prepared, to be watchful. Brothers and sisters, we will be persecuted for Christ's name. We will be persecuted for his namesake. And not only that, we get the opportunity, as he said, to bear witness in those times to those who don't know Christ, to those who are persecuting us. We have the opportunity to bear witness, to exemplify Christ, to speak of what he has done and and who he is. We have that opportunity. And not only that, Jesus says, not a hair on our head will perish. For those of you who have hair, and for those of you that don't, my head will not perish. He's making the point that we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about these things. God is in control. It's divine favor for us to suffer on behalf of Jesus. And the Beatitudes remind us of this clearly. In Matthew 5, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he says at the end, the last beatitude, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is their identity. This is theirs, their inheritance. And really, the for theirs is theirs alone. They have a right to this. No one else has a right to the kingdom of God except those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake or persecuted for the gospel's sake. Blessed are you, picking up in verse 11, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil things against you falsely on my account, on Jesus' account. And then verse 12, he says, what are we to do? You are to rejoice. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Quickly, two things to note out. The word blessed in this verse, in these verses, is divine favor. It is the smile of God. It is a blessing to be persecuted on Christ's behalf. And secondly, in verse 12, he says how we are to respond to this, we are to rejoice. We aren't to enjoy it, but we are to rejoice that we can suffer for Christ. We are to be glad Because our reward here on earth is great. No, our reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They persecuted men like Jeremiah. They persecuted men like Jonah and Elijah. This is good company you're in if you were persecuted for Christ's sake. The difficulty here is that us in America, we don't see this. We don't see this as a norm or something that we will uh, face. This type of persecution doesn't come easily to us. It's hard for us to grasp. And, and we slip into the thinking that we might never experience this type of suffering. We have freedoms to live. We have freedoms to speak. We have freedoms to talk on what we want to talk to. We have freedoms to go eat wherever we want to eat. We have the freedom to come and to gather in a place like this without worrying if someone's going to come through these doors and shoot me or kill all of us for talking on God's behalf. We don't have that worry. We don't have anything to worry about. We have no cost like many other of our brothers and sisters who really have to put their lives on the line each and every time they gather in a setting like this to open up the word. And, and that's not to say that's something to condemn us. No, no, this is a blessing that we have to, to live in this country that we're living in and to speak and to pray and to come and to gather. But it comes with a cost. We prefer a gospel that is comfortable because we live in a life of comfort. We live in a life of comfort here in America and in the West. It's not a surprise that here in America we see a rampant style of preaching today that is preaching false gospels that teach your best life is now. They teach stuff that God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to live as strong as you want, to live as wealthy as you want, to be as most successful as you want, to be as prosperous as you want. That's simply not true and biblical. Look at Luke 21. Tell me how that adds up. Look at countless other examples we see of the life of Paul. How, 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 that doesn't add up. That does not add up. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could drive around in fancy cars. He did not die on the cross so that we could wear the latest trendy clothes. He did not die on the cross so that we could waste hours upon hours in video games, in entertainment, with our eyes locked on our phones. He did not die on the cross for us to chase the next dollar and be the most successful person, to have the biggest reputation and be the most well-known and well-liked. 
We are to be persecuted. We are to be marked by suffering. He didn't die so that we could bow down to any idol that we want to serve. No, he died so that you and I might be free from the slavery of sin. He purchased our freedom. You have been blood-bought by the precious blood of the Son of God. You have been bought by the blood of Christ. He died so that we may live. It is because of this warped, sin-tainted thinking that we struggle to truly understand and grasp and embrace the intentions of what God has for us in suffering. We must not feed on the empty lies of the culture of our day. We must look to Scripture to define what it means to suffer and what is the purpose behind our suffering. We need to think the way Christ did. We must heed the warning we see of the Lamb, and we must follow in his footsteps. In the second part of verse 1, we see an interesting phrase that we need to address. I'm going to read the entire verse for us so that we can see the the flow of uh, Peter's argument. Not argument, what Peter is saying. And then it will help us in, in, in better understanding what it says. So, verse 1 we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That's what we just talked about. Then he says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay. So I don't know about you, but when I read that, I had a couple uh, questions in my mind. You might ask, okay, well, first, what does it mean to cease from sin? And what does it mean when Peter says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh is going to cease from sin? Is he talking about Christ? Uh, Is he talking about us? Is Peter saying that those who suffer no longer sin or they're somehow sinless? Are they perfect? Those are all uh, natural questions to ask. But we know that Peter is not saying that people will not sin. He, He would contradict himself in his own letter and he would go against the teachings of the Bible. So what then is he saying? Well, Peter is saying that those who suffer for Christ's name and the gospel are proving through their willingness to suffer that they are done, they are no longer slaves to a life of sin. They have ceased from sin. Now, how do we get to that point? Well, it's, it's pretty uh, easy to get there once we really strip things down to, to think about what, what he's talking about. So let's look at an unbeliever and a believer. Well, they both suffer. They both can suffer. They can both uh, be sick. They can both uh, experience very uh, trials and afflictions. Um, they can experience all different things. They can even both sin. Unbeliever and a believer can both sin, and ultimately we know that sin results in death. They both will die. The believer and the unbeliever alike will both die in the end. So what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, the difference is the gospel. The difference is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The believer has had a heart change. They have seen the truth of Christ. Although they sin, they no longer live for sin. They no longer take pleasure in it. They have died to sin. They live a life of repentance, and they seek to be conformed into the image of Jesus day by day. The gospel has completely transformed every aspect of their life. The suffering that the Christian experience is a result of no longer living a lifestyle of sin like the unbeliever. That's the old self. That is the old man. They experience suffering because they no longer partake in that type of lifestyle. 
It is what Peter meant in chapter 3, in verse 17, where he says, For it is better for you to suffer for doing good, for living righteously, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, than for suffering and living in sin. This is what Peter means when he says, Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. They have no longer lived in a lifestyle of sin. On that note, it brings us to our second point. Our second way we can embrace how to suffer, our call to suffering, is that we would no longer live for human passions. The second way to embrace our calling to suffer is that we would no longer live for human passions. If we continue down to verse 2 in our text, we read, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So in the first part of this verse, we have our second way to embrace our calling, which is found in the form of a negative, a do not or a no longer do this. This is not the first time Peter is talking about no longer living for human passions in his letter. In fact, he spoke on this earlier on in chapter 1 in verse 14 and 15. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed into the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So we see in verse 14, he says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We see that word passions again. We see here that he is saying to not do this of the old self, the old man. And we see this again in chapter 2 in verses 11 through 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So first, from verse 11, we see here that he uses the word passions again. He uses it this time in the word passions of your flesh. So in chapter 1, he said passions of your former ignorance. Here in chapter 2, we see passions of your um, flesh. And then we see in our text that he says... um, no longer for human passions. He's saying the same thing. In all three instances, Peter is saying that we are to no longer take part in our former manner of living before Christ. We are no longer to partake in our fleshly desires that we once participated in. So much so that he gives a very detailed description of the type of things, the type of sins that that they were engaged in in verse 3 and verses 4, which Chase is going to talk about next week. You can uh, read ahead. Those are some very uh, sinful acts that they were engaged in, that they partake in, and, and some that we could maybe even relate to in our own life, saying we are no longer living in those ways, but those were part of our former manner of living. It loudly echoes what Paul is, is, is preaching and proclaiming in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say to them? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The question is not how to avoid hardships. We have talked tonight and all semester long that suffering is coming. But the question is what is the motive behind it all? The motive is for obedience. Obedience that is seeking to take pleasure in pleasing our flesh, or pleasing our Father, not pleasing our flesh. Do you desire at any cost to please your Father? Do you believe that not one single strand 
of hair on your head will perish? Do you believe that he keeps his word and keeps his promises? Do you believe that he is working all things for your good? Do you believe that he is good and that he does good? If you would affirm these things and say, yes, I believe these things, then how can we then take pleasure in that which made Jesus suffer and die on the cross? Peter wants to remind his readers to abstain, to abstain from the things that wage war on our souls. This is what Peter wants us to do. This is why he has said it multiple times in different ways throughout his letter. This is now the third time he has said this. This is the type of renewed mindset Peter wants us to have. He urges us to have it. He tells us we should long for it. He wants us to have a lifestyle that hates sin, that that maintains a lifestyle that is beautiful in the sight of God, that shows the inward beauty of the heart. He wants us to live in a Romans 6, Colossians 3 type of lifestyle, a lifestyle where we should be absolutely overcoming sin and temptation. We should be willing to suffer to avoid sin. We have to remember that the sanctification process is a lifelong process. It's a process that we are all in in all different stages of life. We have to patiently bear with one another. We have to encourage and edify and build one another up. We have to be united in one mind. We have to show sympathy and brotherly love. We have to have a tender heart and a humble mind, as Peter has already told us. By the grace of God, we are to do this. We must not forget that we are all being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This is not our own doing. This isn't our brother or our sister's doing. It is a work of the Spirit. It is the work of God. We ought to strive to uplift and build one another up. Now we're going to look at the third and final way we are to embrace our calling to suffer. The third way we are to embrace our call to suffer is to live for the will of God. We are to live for the will of God. Looking down at verse 2 again, we read, So as to live for the rest of the life, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We are to live for the will of God. Peter says this so clearly, Since we have died to sin, and have been made alive in Christ, we now have the freedom to live according to the will of God. We have the freedom to do this. Since we have died to sin, we are now equipped to live in this manner. This leads us naturally to ask the question, what is the will of God? Well, in short, it means to live the way that God has prescribed us to in his word. Peter has been telling us, this in his letter so far. He said, primarily we are to do this by experiencing suffering, mainly in the temptations to sin each and every day. We share that form of suffering uh, straight across the board for all of us. I think we can all raise our hand and say, have you been tempted by sin in the last 24 hours or the last week? I think we would all raise our hands. It's unanimous. We all have the temptation to sin. Along with that, Peter has pointed us continually to the greatest example we've seen, which is Christ. We see through his willingness, he was able to suffer in order to fulfill the will of the Father. This is in total contrast to what it looks like to live for yourself and for human passions. Living for the will of God is on the total opposite end of the spectrum. 
so much so that, that it requires supernatural help in order to live. Only believers are able to live for the will of God. Only believers are to live for the will of God. This means that they are born again people. This means that they are people who have the promised Holy Spirit living inside of them. They are the new temple where God dwells. They have been equipped to live in such a manner that they are to do so with joy-filled obedience to God. They are able to worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Spirit who is now at work in them is applying the finished work of Christ. The Spirit is helping them to understand who God is. He is helping them to understand how we are now to live in light of that. The Spirit is sanctifying our hearts and renewing our minds. The Spirit is opening our minds that we would understand these massive truths. The Spirit is playing a major factor in this work. He's playing a major role in the work that Christ has accomplished on the cross. We can see evidence of this in our own lives, that we're not the same people who we were a week ago, a year ago, a decade ago. We can see it in the lives of other brothers and sisters and see that the work of sanctification is happening. We can see them being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We are not who we once were. Our entire life has been changed. If we are going to live for the will of God, we can only do it through the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. Peter urges us to live for godly pursuits, which brings us back to the latter part of the two texts we looked at earlier. In chapter 1, we said, uh, Peter said, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's what we looked at earlier. But now he says, But as who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We are to walk as obedient children do in the pursuit of holiness. We are to have a holy conduct, a holy living. Similarly, Peter takes that notion even further in Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 11. We read, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here we are to keep our conduct honorable. We are to keep our conduct honorable through good deeds. Much of what Peter has addressed to us in chapter 3, what we talked about earlier, the hope is, ultimately, that we would be doing this in such a manner that God uses us as a means to draw these people to himself. They are to see the way we respond to suffering. They are to say, see the way we respond in our distinctly different living. And they are to ask, that's to prompt them to ask us, what's different about you? And then that allows us to make a defense, to make a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in us. That's why God has allowed us to walk in such manner. The hope is that God would save some. We are to live for the glory of God. God. Peter has given us example after example. We have spent week after week looking at this all semester long. We've looked at what it means to live for the will of God. With all that being said, it really boils down to one word. The word is holiness. Living for the will of God is summarized under the umbrella of holiness. Holiness is brought out through our obedience. Obedience to suffer as Christ did Obedience to be prepared to make a defense. 
Obedience to not revile when we are reviled. Obedience to be tested by fire. Obedience to submit, and so on and so on. Peter has given us countless examples. This is what it's all really about. Are we walking as obedient children or not? Are we pursuing holiness or living for ourselves? This is countercultural in our day today. This is against the grain. This is totally not the norm of what we see in our culture today. We are to be known by doing good for looking distinctly different than what our world looks like. We are to be set apart in all of our conduct. We are to be holy in our conduct. Peter has shown us that we can be marked by this by submitting to suffering to difficult and ungodly people, especially those who are in positions of authority and power. We are only able to, able to properly embrace our calling if we continue to commit ourselves day in day to live out a pursuit of holiness for the glory of God alone. Now I want to begin to land the plane here and I want to encourage you guys with some final exhortations that we can apply to our lives. I believe we are able to fully embrace our calling to suffer as we pursue a life of holiness. And I want to encourage you guys to do so in three ways that Peter has discussed so far in this letter. Number one, I encourage you guys to do so by walking in obedience through sacrificial love. This is something that we cannot continue to speak out and encourage and preach on and continue to talk about day in and day out. We ought to resemble a life of sacrificial love that we've seen in the greatest form in the life of our Messiah and our Savior Christ. He has laid down his life for us. He has given up glory to come down, to live in flesh and dwell among us so that we would be divine uh, partakers in future glory. First Peter one twenty two through 23 reads, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Number two, we are to do so by following Jesus' example. Now, you can pick out a couple different examples of really what that means, but I specifically pointed out um, 1 Peter chapter 2, and it's the example of not to revile. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 23, reads, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Okay, what is the example? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So that's something that we need to constantly have on our minds, that we are not to return vengeance. The Lord says, I will repay Right? We are to be that witness when we can live a righteous life, a distinctly different life. Remember, uh, the world wants us to revile when they revile us. What is our witness if when they revile us, we revile in return? We damage our witness. We have no witness. Right. So keep that on mind that we can continue to follow Jesus' example. And finally, number three, we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 and 9, to bless others. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, 
sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So we just saw in Peter, 1 Peter 2, to this we have called that we would suffer in Christ's footsteps. And then also, to take that even further, we are to bless, not to revile. So as we close our time together tonight, I want to leave you with a quote. A quote uh, that summarizes uh, really what suffering is about by Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He says, Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that could really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took that so that all suffering now that comes to your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. Brother and sister, I pray and I hope that this would be an encouragement to you guys. Let us pray. Father God, we entrust to you that you would give growth to the seed that has been planted. Lord, you are able to water it. You are able to keep it protected from the evil one. Lord, we pray that you would do what you can only do. We pray that we would truly grasp what it means to live in here in America and to suffer. We know that it's going to be different to what our brothers and sisters are facing each and every day with their life on the line for Christ. Lord, it doesn't mean that we will be exempt of this persecution here. Lord, help us to continually grow in hunger and thirst for righteousness and to continue to endure by entrusting ourselves to you. Help us to be prepared in and out of season to give the defense for people who ask. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live in such a manner that people would be prompted to ask what is different about us. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our minds, that you do it all for your glory, and that we would receive much joy from it. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.